1: Greetings and welcome to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Laura Stanley. Uh, Today's episode is the final in our special series in honor of Farm to School Month 2014. And it's been a great run uh, that it's taken us around the country for insights and inspiration. Uh, And when I was planning this series, I really wanted to save today's story for last because it's just so... It's so wow. Um, you're you're just you're about to hear just how wow. Um, this is a project designed to really change the conversation about what the role school food uh, school food can have in uh, in catalyzing food system reform on a large scale. Three really large California districts have teamed up to move farm to school to the center of the plate. Local chicken raised humanely and sustainably without antibiotics is now on lunch menus not just this month but year-round in San Diego, Riverside, and Oakland. Um, So, Inside School Food has reported on big district purchasing of local sustainable chicken before. Um, This summer, we paid a visit to Jefferson County, Colorado, where School Food Service is buying poultry from Boulder natural meats for a student population of 85,000 kids. Uh, In that episode, listeners also learned how Chicago, which is the third largest district in the nation, is doing something very similar. So this California project has its precedents, but what's different here is the multi-district approach, which in this case was the only way these three cities were going to make this happen. So there were lots of logistics involved and lots of unprecedented inter-district dialogue and cooperation. And plenty of support from not-for-profit partners who are committed not just to better chicken in the local supply chain, but better chicken for our kids in the national supply chain. So today's episode is really about Farm to School Plus. Um, okay, so enough from me. Let's talk to our guests. Um, I have on the line um, Ariane Micus of uh, the Community Alliance of Family Farmers, or or CAF. Um, CAF is a not-for-profit that advocates for California's family farmers, uh, building on shared values around food and sustainable agriculture. Um, Ariane, who is an anthropologist by training, uh, manages CAF programs in the Bay Area, including farm-to-hospital, farm-to-school, and local food. Food hub Projects. Joining her is Alex Emmett, um, who is the Farm to School Supervisor for Oakland Unified School District. Alex previously served in a similar capacity at, at the other end of the country for Boston Public Schools. So Ariane and Al- Alex, welcome to Inside School Food.
2: Thanks very much, Laura. Thanks, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. So Ariane, let,
1: let's start with you. Um, l- can we get a lay of the land? I mean, how did this initiative get started?
2: Well, the initiative was started um, essentially from School Food Focus, the nationally-based nonprofit that works with the largest urban school districts in the United States in an effort to create supply chain um, change uh, for the types of businesses and producers and entities that create and uh, supply food to the school market. And they had been working with... um, about 15 districts around the country zeroing in on protein and then from there further zeroing in on chicken. It's the number one protein served in schools. Um, and so it, was a, it it. naturally made sense. It's also one of the most consolidated um, industries in animal agriculture, one of the most unclean industries in animal agriculture. So it made a lot of environmental sense to um, throw the clout of Food, and school food, and schools behind um, trying to make some changes in the supply chain. So. School Food Focus had been working with three California districts, Oakland, Riverside, and San Diego, and they tend to work, again, with um, on-the-ground partners, uh, nonprofit organizations that really know the lay of the land in the region, mm-hmm. and they want to drill into regional work. And so that's how CAF bubbled up. We've been a community partner to Oakland, specifically on procurement for many, many years, um, and also had... Um, a nearly 15-year-long history in regional food distribution. So when it comes to having an expert who knows how to kind of put the pieces together to get a different type of food from point A into an institution, there was a lot of competency within our organization. Um, and so this project came to me, and I was really very excited to work on it.
1: Right, right. And can you tell me, there's three districts involved. Um, how How big are they?
2: They're big. They're <laughs> They're not necessarily Chicago big, but what they manage to do every day is really extraordinary. Um, Both Oakland and Riverside serve nearly 40,000 meals a day, and San Diego serves on the order of 120,000 and up a day. Mm -hmm. And I just want to point out that, of course, the bulk of that is school lunch, which everybody's familiar with, but these are schools that are really providing a very comprehensive social safety net um, to – oftentimes very poor students. So they're also serving breakfast, also serving fresh fruits and vegetables as snack, and then have also initiated supper programs. And they have summer feeding programs um, during the months that school is not in session in order to continue fulfilling that um, nutritional safety net mission over the summer months when school's not in
1: session. Right, right. And, and we should also add that all three of these districts are, are subject to the same budgetary constraints as all the other districts we talk about, um, uh, talk with on Inside School Foods. So, all you know, in, in, in making this project come together, cost was, of course, um, a big issue for you. Um, how long have, you know, were you in conversation with these districts and with School Food Focus before you got to the big day when you could menu this chicken in these districts?
2: Question. I mean, it's definitely been a different path for each district mm-hmm. um, and the amount of work that each district has put in has been absolutely crucial to, to getting them to the point of service. They also each have their own unique barriers. I think we were in conversation, though, at least a year before um, You know, before Oakland was able to get it on the menus, San Diego had actually been piloting this very early Mm -hmm. in the conversation on a small scale, and so I think that the work with San Diego was more about um, connecting them with their colleagues in the field so that there was more peer-to-peer learning and information sharing and more opportunity to show greater clout to producers, Um, and also key into the supply chain research that I did so that they could really better understand the landscape in California. As far as production and what was available, what options they had for ramping up, moving forward, and increasing their volumes um, Riverside just menued chicken for the first time last week, mm-hmm. so um, that's the timeline there and San Diego is going from you know a few thousand servings a week to um, tens of thousands of servings a week over the course of this school year right
1: right very exciting um so so Alex um, on you know when when you serve the chicken um, on a mary 's chicken day at oakland unified what 's it look like on the plate
3: Sure um so we started serving mary 's chicken last spring and um We have developed a few recipes. So last year we developed one recipe, which was a really delicious uh, lemon oregano roasted chicken drumstick, um, and it was served alongside some brown rice that was also sourced locally from SunWest Growers up here in the Sacramento Valley. Um, And then this year we have a couple of new recipes, so one that we actually just debuted um, this past week for Food Day which is a crispy oven roasted drumstick, so it's a buttermilk dipped and then it just has a coating of some cornmeal panko breadcrumbs and spices um, and then the other recipe that we have is a really tasty barbecue drumstick with a homemade barbecue sauce it's a chipotle lime uh, barbecue sauce and those are also being served alongside
1: the rice. Great. It's and I understand that you involve students in selecting which recipes to use on this special chicken
3: Yeah, absolutely so we've actually had a pretty robust Um, taste testing program going on for the last couple of years, and um, that's allowed us to select recipes not only for chicken, but for other items that we're serving also. Um, But yeah, so we've uh, engaged with a a group called the HOPE Collaborative here in in Oakland, which has a youth advisory board uh, made up of high school students from around the city, Um, and those students have helped us out both last summer and the summer previously to do peer-to-peer taste tests. And interview their peers about um, different dishes, and then the winning dishes are, are put on the menu. So, um, you know, it's no surprise, the kids really love chicken, as Ariane mentioned. And so, um, actually, in our first year, so back in uh, the summer of 2013, the, both of the top two winning recipes were chicken recipes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, Ariane, I, I'm sorry, I mean, Alex, um, is this the first time you've been able to move farm to school to the center of the plate in Oakland?
3: Yes, yeah. So the, the chicken initiative has fit in nicely with another Farm to School initiative that we have here in Oakland called California Thursdays. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked with the Center for Ecoliteracy to pilot California Thursdays last year. Um, and really, uh, you know, the, the goal of California Thursdays is to move Farm to School beyond produce to incorporate the rest of the place, so proteins and grains and that kind of thing. Um, Oakland has a really long history of sourcing local produce. Um, and being in California, you know, it's uh, we have quite a lot that's available in our backyard here. And so um, we've been really interested in, in moving beyond produce to see what we can do um, with other items like chicken and like grain.
1: Right, right. So taking to the next level. Um, and, and Ariane, I, I know that... Um, you know there's this this has been a big challenge for the for all three districts, and we'll talk about that shortly. But there was something about these three districts, in addition to their prior involvement with school food focus, that they kind of put them in a state of readiness to take on this challenge. Can you comment on that?
2: I can comment on that. Sure. So you know, I think um, each one of these districts is really a leader in Farm to School in its own right and has piloted some programs that are really envelope pushing. Riverside, for instance, has been working with a farmer who aggregates on behalf of several other farmers in the region and does direct delivery to their central kitchen. They buy an enormous volume of produce um, from local farmers and have been doing that for years. San Diego, similarly, has had very strong commitments to local growers and local purchasing um, and has a staff that's very much folded into um, sort of, you know, how to do farm to school procurement. Oakland Unified's journey over farm to school has been several years long. It began by um, a collaboration with a local nonprofit that helped them set up um, farmers market stands at 22 school sites that were in neighborhoods that had very poor access to any fresh fruits and vegetables whatsoever, let alone something that was um, fresh, oftentimes organic, and there was also a real commitment to supporting smaller scale and minority farmers. Mm -hmm. It really began with those farm stands and then expanded out from there into harvest of the month tastings for the kids in the classroom, um, trainings for cafeteria staff to sort of bring their knowledge and skills levels up, um, and then, of course, procurement work into the school meal program where they had set a goal of 25% local sourcing and blew past that in the three years that that project mm-hmm. uh, was underway to the tune of a range of about 40 to 65% local sourcing. Um, they wrote extremely tight bid language to um, make sure that their vendors would really preference uh, local purchasing whenever possible and that's one of the ways that they've been able to achieve results like this. And, you know, now um, they work with a, a produce provider who has a real commitment to smaller regional farms, small and mid-sized regional farms uh, wherever possible. So there's, there's kind of a multi-front effort um, in all of these schools to really get healthy local foods onto the plates and to raise the education level of the kids. There's also robust garden programs in each of these schools. Um, to lift up kind of the hands-on experience of the kids. So this was the progress that was already underway Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, before they shifted to center of the plate and protein sourcing. But, um, you know, any professional working in this field just climbs this incredibly high hill in terms of their own education about food systems when they engage in any one of those projects. And that leads you pretty quickly to the problems in the meat industry and how... um, you know, large institutions really do have a role to play and some power in the conversation as far as um, engaging with the meat industry and creating some positive change there.
1: Right, right. Let's talk about that. Yeah. You've told me that when when you began your exploration of the poultry supply chain for California, what you discovered pretty quickly is, is what you described to me as a microcosm for the rest of the country. What did you mean by that?
2: Sure. Well, um, you know, I similar to the school districts, had um, been buried in produce work for a number of years, so it was really exciting to have the opportunity to work on meat. And what I discovered about the poultry supply chain nationally and in California is they very much mirror each other. So, um, both nationally and here in the state... You know, there's major players that absolutely dominate the industry. And in California, that's Foster Farms. They're responsible for the vast bulk of production in this state. Um, and then there's a mid-tier that's kind of, a, you know, a clean label or a higher quality um, brand chicken that's really geared towards the more informed consumer who's either thinking about um, antibiotics in their meat um, or they're thinking about organic, or they're potentially thinking about GMOs in feed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're looking for a cleaner-labeled chicken that um, carries with it some assurance that those practices either are or aren't in place. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we have in California is two mid-sized producers. One is Petaluma Poultry, um, which is focused in Sonoma County. That's actually the traditional kind of poultry region Um, in the state and has been supplying the Bay Area with um, chickens and eggs since Gold Rush days. So that's a very well-established industry. And then the other is Mary's Chicken, um, which is in the Central Valley near Fresno lot of people are familiar with Fresno. Mm -hmm. And that's a family-owned and operated company that um, they had been turkey farmers, and they were on the verge of going out of business around the turn of the last century. And they shifted into free-range poultry production kind of right at the moment when consumer interest was picking up. Uh, So it was a very timely decision on their part, and they've expanded from there. And what I say about Petaluma Poultry is that they are now owned by Purdue. They were bought out by a regional company called Coleman Natural mm-hmm. a few years ago, and then Coleman Natural in turn was bought out by Purdue, which seems to be the model for kind of these larger corporate entities right. and into the clean label offerings is simply to buy up a smaller company.
0: Right, right. So there
2: is definitely a different ownership and decision-making structure within each of these entities. Right, and right. And then um, sort of on the bottom tier, though, I don't want to – You know, discounted, it's just smaller. We have a resurgence in California of pastured poultry operations, sort of very much inspired by the model of Joel Salatin and kind of in ideal terms bringing back heritage breeds and, you know, having the chickens run around in the grass for their entire existence. But, um, in terms of both price point, volume, and feasibility, those operations are not suited to serving the institutional market. So we did focus our work in terms of relationship building with those mid-tier. mid-tier
1: right, entities. right. Yeah, that, that leads to my next question. So it sounds like given the volume that you needed to purchase um, your, and, and given that you were looking for sustainably raised, raised without antibiotics chicken, your, your candidates were in that mid-tier and Mary's turned out to be the right company. Um, tell me a little bit about Mary's. I know you spent a lot of time um, you know, getting to know them.
2: Yeah, we did have that opportunity. We toured both Petaluma and Mary's. And when I say we, I mean um, representatives from all three districts, um, as well as our partners at School Food Focus. Um, And, I mean, both operations were really, really terrific. But I do want to highlight that some things that made an impact with the district was um, Mary's family ownership structure Mm -hmm. Um, for schools that are serving kids and serving families and serving communities. I think that that was meaningful. Um, The tour at Mary's was incredibly transparent. And I just want to point out what a rarity that is in the meat industry at all. Mm -hmm. It was extraordinary. We were allowed into every single aspect of their production when we toured their facility allowed to take pictures of everything that we saw from, um, you know, the chicks hatching to uh, the point of slaughter in the processing um, facility, any aspect of processing. And we really went from egg to barbecue that day. It was, um, for many of us that had never been in a slaughterhouse, Mm -hmm. a little bit of a challenging experience, but also incredibly eye-opening. And we also learned a lot about um, You know, what goes into raising birds without the routine use of antibiotics and how that looks different in terms of the life cycle and treatment of that bird. Um, And, you know, all in all, it was just an incredibly educational day. Um, I want to point out that the poultry industry in general, and this applies to Mary's as well, is completely set up to serve the retail industry. That's where. You know, over 90% of their sales come from. So, mm-hmm. institutional food service is a very small part of their market. But um, the folks working for Mary's just reiterated over and over again how meaningful it was to them to know that their product was going to kids in California through the school meals program. And I think that that made an impact. Um, on the visitors as
1: well. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I want to point out to listeners that Mary's Chicken has a remarkable video on their website that really looks um, at at chicken production um, and talks about some of the methodology that they've employed to uh, keep it going sustainably, keep the birds uh, happy, uh, eliminate use of antibiotics. And there'll be a link to that video posted on the Inside School Food website. And Ariane, I also want to mention that you, what you told me, um, which was was really interesting to hear is that Mary's has actually collaborated with PETA in developing the stunning and slaughter method for their birds.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we got to see that as well. There's actually little viewing windows into the chambers. Mm -hmm. So the the birds are essentially put to sleep. They're kind of, you know, all nestled in together and and, um, they travel through a line where they're put to sleep. Um, So they're really not aware of anything um, when they then pass down the line um, through the point of slaughter. Um, And that was something that Mary's co-developed with PETA. And I I do think that's another extraordinary collaboration. Um,
1: Right, right. right.
2: And, again, that we were able to, you know, to view that, and it was very clear that there was no distress on the bird's part. Um, It was just really very interesting.
1: Right, right. So we have to go to station break now. Uh, uh, We've been speaking with... um, Ariane Mikas and Alex Emmett about the um, remarkable uh, collaborative uh, chicken procurement initiative uh, in California involving three large school districts, Oakland Unified, San Diego Unified, and Riverside Unified, all united in their uh, interest in buying sustainably humanely grown local chicken. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the logistics involved in making this all happen. It gets pretty complicated and it's pretty interesting, so stay with Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Seeing a need to help people sort through all the misinformation about healthy eating, Whole Foods Market added a seventh core value to promote the health of our stakeholders through healthy eating education. In our stores, we give you the tools you need for choosing the most nutritious foods and healthy recipes, as well as offering classes with nutritionists and cooking coaches to help inspire good health and well-being. Stop by your local store today and learn more about our Health Starts Here program and wellness clubs or online at WholeFoodsMarket.com slash Health Starts Here. my favorite station break. Thank you for that. Um, you're listening to Inside School Food. Our guests today uh, hail from the Bay Area in California. Ariane Micus is with the Community Alliance of Family Farmers, and Alex Emmett works on farm to school programming for Oakland Unified School District. We're speaking with them about a pioneering initiative that's bringing humanely, sustainably raised chicken not just to Oakland schools, but to two other very large districts to the south San Diego Unified and Riverside Unified. Um, so as I said at the top of today's segments, uh, this is more than just about farm to school, isn't it? I mean, not even Oakland, San Diego, and Riverside will ever be able to buy all their chicken from within California. And then there's all the other districts in the state. So, so um you know this project is after not just um, local supply chain reform but national reform um, Alex, do you want to comment on that sure um oakland
3: unified you know we 've been working with the folks at school food focus for several years and um, I think one of the the strongest um, pieces of of that work is that focus is really focusing um, both on a local supply chain, as Ariane has been talking about, and then also on the national supply chain. And so that's just for us, you know, the the understanding that we are never going to be able to shift all of our our chicken purchases to a local supply. Um, We've definitely scaled up. Last year we menued Mary's chicken only two times in the entire year. And this year, we're actually menuing Mary's chicken two times a month.
1: Mm-hmm. But
3: needless to say, we menu chicken more than twice a month. And so we need to be, have other sources. Um, and so, you know, a big big piece of this work has been looking at um, antibiotic use in the chicken industry. And that's something that's very important to OUSD, um, especially because we're serving children, you know, and there's so much research that's come out recently that, you know, the reality is for children today, um, they're the you you know, they, they may grow up in a in a world that, um, you know, has very limited use of antibiotics if, if available at all. Um, and so that's something that's really important. And then I think just to echo also something that was mentioned before is that, you know, for us, we serve almost 40,000 meals a day. Um, in our district, we have just under 40,000 children that we're serving, and 72% of them are qualifying for a free or reduced-price lunch. Um, the cost of living in the Bay Area is extremely high, and so the reality is, For many of our students, you know, a lot of their daily calories are coming from school food. And so, you know, I think that we have a moral imperative to make sure that these are the highest quality meals possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the chicken initiative certainly fits in there,
1: right? Right. It's great. And and Ariane, I know that you're working not just with um, these school districts, but with other institutional purchasers that also um, see themselves as, as Alex putting, having a moral imperative to pursue this issue with, uh, about antibiotic use with their purchasing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I also have a foot in the farm to hospital world and work with a consortium of Bay Area Hospitals on sustainable procurement, again, around produce. Um, But these hospitals are working within the state of California very effectively on similar work, trying to source chicken that has been raised without antibiotics, trying to source beef that is grass-fed and hormone-free, and, you know, they're really on the front lines of seeing the downstream effects of our overuse of antibiotics in animal agriculture, And I've um, spoken with clinicians who are saying that there's mortality rates for infection in in the healthcare industry um, that simply weren't there 15 and 20 years ago. So if you have a patient that uh, gets an infection while in the hospital or is in, um, immunocompromised because they're on chemotherapy treatment or they're post-surgery or what have you, um, these are people who are dying from infections that were treatable a couple of decades ago, and the efficacy of the drugs has been deeply impacted from how much and, and what volume they're being fed to animals just as a prophylactic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sense of urgency is very strong in the hospital world as well, And Healthcare Without Harm, another nationally based um, nonprofit organization, has a regional office here. They're doing a national campaign working with Pew and Focus and other partners um, to help um, shift hospital purchasing away from meat that's been raised with the routine use of antibiotics. And it's hard. There's definitely a supply problem Um, Not everybody is preferencing local supply in the way that the California schools are here. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're looking to national supply chains, and and that work really does matter. Um, I hope that we will shift this industry so that routine use of antibiotics is something that just doesn't happen in animal agriculture. Um, But that does mean... um, a certain period of time to to get the industry there. And it also means that this is product that's going to cost more. And the cost of meat um, increasing, it goes up, you know, much more quickly than the cost of other food items.
1: Right, right, right. And and I should add that um, Frontline recently did a really fantastic documentary about um, impacts of, Uh, Antibiotics Abuse in Livestock Production, and I will uh, provide a link to that documentary on the Inside School Food website. Um, But, but Arianne, you you talked about how complicated it is to basically turn this big ship around, and you and Alex and the other districts um, involved in this project experienced that very directly. Um, So can we unpack a little bit about what was involved in, in working with Mary's to get this chicken to three very different districts?
2: Sure, absolutely. In my experience, a big piece of this work, you can uncover the supply and have all the supply you you need and you can uncover the demand and have all the coordinated demand you need. Um, But frankly... Um, lining up supply with demand and figuring out what the connection system between the two is, is often the most complicated and technical and glitchy part of the work. Um, so even as you're celebrating that you have the right products and the right partners, um, there's still a lot of work ahead of you. And, um, you know, I want to point out that certain trends in school food over the last few decades are a big impact here. Um, Their small budgets is a big piece of it, but also the internal infrastructure that they do or don't have in terms of having um, on-site cooking facilities has a big impact. And just a brief overview of each district, um, Oakland Unified has two central cooking kitchens um, and then a number of satellite kitchens. Alex can um, fill in the the total on that, Mm -hmm. and then a number of schools that are just heat and serve. Um, So they have a very complex internal system um of dozens and dozens of school sites. Riverside has just one central kitchen where they cook everything for the entire district and then send it send it out for um reheat for bringing up to, to temperature. And then San Diego is almost like Oakland but on a bigger and even more complex scale in the sense that they have about 19 cooking kitchens and then um hundreds of satellite sites. And so um you know getting a product that is incredibly perishable and that, frankly, carries a food safety risk in its Mm -hmm. raw form, delivered and cooked safely and then sent out to all of these sites and um, hopefully appears palatable and delicious, is is an enormous logistical challenge. Um, In addition, schools are locked into... um, contracts with vendors that may or may not be interested in carrying that um, product. So um, in the case of San Diego, they actually worked out a direct ship agreement with Mary's. Mary's is sending trucks down to that region to mm-hmm. supply Whole Foods, which is um, perhaps one of their biggest customers. So they just simply you know, added San Diego's order to their trucks and made some direct deliveries, and then San Diego, in turn, handled uh, internal logistics Um, Riverside they're doing something similar and the food service director at Riverside said in our experience we pilot something and we'll go off contract to pilot it and then when it becomes a volume that's big enough that's when the distributor takes notice and says oh we can make this work for you. Um, But Oakland had other challenges and I'll let Alex explain those. They really um, because of the internal complexity of their system needed to go with their supplier, which is Cisco. Um, but then the difference in capability at their school sites and central kitchen facilities meant they needed to receive that product in different formats depending on where it was delivered.
1: Right, right. So, Alex, you, you really did have a big puzzle um, ahead of you, and you're still in the process of, of working out all the details. Can Can you talk about some of the logistical issues that you're grappling with?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as Ariane mentioned, we kind of have a hybrid system in Oakland. So we have several kitchens, 30 of them, that are cooking kitchens. So they receive deliveries directly from Cisco or from a produce company, um, raw food ingredients that are then prepped on-site and served on-site same day. Um, and then we have two central kitchens, which serve the rest of our sites. So there's about 85 satellite schools, and those are sort of the re-therm-type models. So mm-hmm. The central kitchens receive the ingredients, prepare the meals, ship them out in um, individual trays, and then they're reheated on the sites. Um, so, all that to say, we need about 32 deliveries weekly, um, which makes it really difficult for us to use the same model that San Diego has been using with getting direct ship because though Mary's is delivering up here in the Bay Area. Um, They're not willing to make 32 drops, and no company is really Mm -hmm. willing to make 32 drops for us. So, that means that we need to partner with Cisco, um, which is the company that was awarded our contract. Um, And that adds a, a piece that's difficult for us, which is actually the shelf life, because The chicken, um, basically we run run into shelf life issues. We don't have enough time from the time that the chicken gets from Mary's into Cisco, then holds at Cisco, and then ships out to our sites. And then once it's at our sites, of course, you know, we only get weekly deliveries from Cisco. So say it's on, you know, they get delivery on Monday, and then it's on the menu till Thursday. There's a few days that it has to hold at our site also. Um, So that makes it just difficult for us to take the fresh product. So we've worked with with Mary's, and actually they've been a great partner here, Um, and they're actually now block freezing the chicken for us and shipping it into Cisco. And so that's kind of a temporary fix. Um, It's not as ideal. So there's block frozen chicken, and then there would be IQF chicken, which is um, individually quality frozen, so it's a lot easier to work with. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're in a school site, you know, and I wanted to just block out 100 pieces of chicken. I could literally just count out 100 drums, put them on sheet pans, defrost them in the fridge. When I have a block-frozen 40-pound case, you know, I have to defrost the whole case, and it takes quite a long time. Um, so we're reluctantly going with block-frozen for our cooking kitchens, um, getting them in delivered in the week before, and they take about four to five days to defrost in the fridge. Mm-hmm. For the central kitchens, because um, you know, taking block-frozen chicken in on a, you know, when you have pallets of it, it just takes up our entire walk-in, and it's, it's just too much to do that defrosting. So we've actually been getting fresh uh, direct ship into the central kitchens and then the block-frozen um, into
1: the into the the cooking kitchen yeah lots of of moving uh, parts and and then and it it also sounds you also told me that you don't have walk-ins in all your kitchen basically the thawing thing is a big pain in the neck and it would be really nice if you could get iqf but that adds to the cost and that runs us into the you know that stubborn issue of school food budgets being so small so yeah um, exactly
3: you're clearly about we've been told from mary that adds about 16 cents per pound yeah um, and this is already sort of at the high end of our our budget, so right, right. we can't really afford to add any more costs to right, the project. Right,
1: right, not doable. But there's there's hope on the horizon for you because I know that Oakland Unified is in the process of of getting a spectacular new central kitchen up and running. So so you're you're basically doing this stopgap until that happy day when you've got a a central kitchen and you can do all of this a lot more efficiently. Is that right?
3: Yeah, that's right. We couldn't be more excited. Um, yeah incredibly fortunate we had a bond measure pass here in Oakland in 2012, which is funding uh, the construction of a new central kitchen. Our our current central kitchens are massively outdated. The larger one, Prescott, was designed to produce 9,000 meals a day, and it's currently producing 20,000 meals a day. So right,
1: right, right. Um,
3: we're in bad need of some new facilities. And so the new central kitchen will be uh, – slated to be complete in August of 2017, um, and that'll open up a lot of new possibilities for us, including um, the ability to take direct shipment of Mary's fresh, right. and then handle it similar to how San Diego is handling it um, internally, where we can then distribute it out to the schools and avoid some of all of these issues that we've been talking about. I think uh, you know I was just at a school last Thursday, a West Oakland middle school that serves. 375 meals a day, so it's not not huge by our standards, but it's still pretty sizable. And they have no walk-in. And so just the logistics of having this block-frozen cases of chicken defrosting, you know, in the bottom of all of these reach-ins, it's just a nightmare. You know, you don't Mm – and no walk-ins, you can't can't prep anything day ahead. You know, I can't get the chicken ready to put in the oven day before because there's no room to store it overnight, you know. So um, definitely our staff – puts up with a lot and, well uh, but your credit have it's, been incredible
2: with this project
3: yeah
1: and it's in a really super important cause and and the fact that you are putting up with a lot and 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 jumping through all these hoops really i think only reinforces that the power of the message um that you're sending out to the poultry industry uh, along with the two other participating districts so um i'm i'm thrilled for you and i look forward to checking in with you once that um central kitchen is up and running and um and there's actually a whole lot more that you're doing in Oakland. So, I, Alex, I, I'm sure you're going to be back on the show, hopefully before 2017. Um, so, Ariane and Alex, thank you so much for sharing this remarkable story with us. Um, I, I, um, I. As I said, I'm looking forward to having you back and hearing how it's going. Um, You've been listening to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. This has been our fifth episode in celebration of Farm to School Month 2014. You can find this episode and the other four, along with resource links, on insideschoolfood.com. And while we're talking web, a few suggestions. We're on Facebook and Twitter. And our Twitter feed is a great resource for busy people who need quick and easy access to school food news that really matters. I also strongly encourage listeners to sign up for our newsletter on the website. Um, That's how we know who you are. And if we know who you are, we can do a better job of designing content to meet your needs. So help us to help you and sign up. Uh, Next week, uh, Steve O'Brien and Eric Goldstein of New York City School Food will be here with me in the studio with Dora Rivas from Dallas Independent School District joining us over the phone. Um, They've just returned from France where they traveled to learn how kids there eat in school and how curriculum there is designed to sustain France's healthy enriching and joyful traditional food culture. This is going to be really interesting. You do not want to miss this episode. So I'm Laura Stanley, and I'm certain that you will be back. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
3: You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store
1: by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info
0: at Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.